Right, what else have we got here? We've got a couple of other text messages. Okay, one of the issues with, um, and this is the Equality Bill that we were talking about earlier, passed through Congress in the United States. One of the issues with this is that the people enforcing or passing this bill do not agree with it, but use it as a political aid to gain favour with particular groups. And I actually believe that this is the case. Hmm. Um, this is this is also my opinion. Now, unless you actually sat down with those people and had a, an honest heart-to-heart conversation, we can't make that judgment, but I this is my opinion. Those in power will not be affected by these changes, but use them to change society and demoralise Christians into attempted submission to a satanic culture. And in many ways, we are living in a period which in, with, in which there is a, uh, a war on Christianity. That's just how it is, or war on a certain type of Christianity. It's a war on biblical Christianity is what it is. Okay, so let's yeah. just see here. We've got uh, one coming through here for bragging rights. Let's just see whether that one will be correct or not. Someone who made their brother. Okay, Jacob uh, is the one that came through. That one is also incorrect. So we've got, had Abel so far. It's not Abel. It's not Jacob. Who else was it who made their brother angry? Okay, where are we? Okay, oh, 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 another a further confession. Oh, yes, let's hear it. Um, Isaiah 59, that caught my attention. God putting on his own armour. Um, not that I'm sure it changes much, though. So there you go. So, so Okay, this person, I was going to say this person, James from Armadale is just on the money. No, but that's, yeah. Huh, okay. Because it says it's partly mentioned in Isaiah. Yes, yes. And I was like, oh, where, where's that mentioned in Isaiah? I'm like, well, you know, I guess there was lots <laughs> of, uh, you know, you get those middle chapters of Isaiah that are talking about the um, the Assyrian invasion and that's sort of where my head went. Mm. And like, there's probably talks about armour there somewhere, I'm not really sure, but James is on the money. He's got the, uh, he's got the answer from Ephesians and the passage from Isaiah. Well done. He's put the whole thing together. Mm. Okay. Uh, we read that one. Yep. I think that's a good comment. And we've got another comment here. Let's see here. There is nothing equal about the Equality Act. It goes against reason and reality and the Word of God. Everyone has the right to live their life as they want as long as they don't hurt anyone. This law is not about treating them equally. It is really about treating the rest of us unequally Especially Christians. Yeah, it's a very bigoted law. There's no question about that. It is um, very targeted towards um, people who believe the Bible. Uh, we can all see that this is an attack on God's word. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. We know what happens to those who make war with God. Think of doing good. Thinking of doing good, they actually do evil. We have lost our rights in the name of doing good. God save us. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that they will persecute you at the end of time, thinking that they do God a service. Mm. And that's exactly what we're seeing taking place. You get people who are very, very passionate about these laws, like this Equality Act, you know, going through Congress in the United States. And when I talk to them, they don't have an evil heart. You know, they've actually got a good heart. They don't see the implications of what they're actually putting into legislation. They're kind of blinded by the, you know, the, the, the one issue that is in front of their eyes at the time. They're not looking at the big picture. They're not looking at the tremendous hurt and pain and damage. Yeah. 
you know, the thousands of people that will be put out of business, the churches that will be closed as, you know, potentially, because there's one thing to put something into legislation, there's another thing for it to be enforced. Yeah. Uh, the lawsuits that will be enacted, the innocent people that will be dragged through the courts, whether they win the court case or not, you know, mm. court cases usually take several years to wind up. The stress that's going to be created by this kind of legislation. Yeah. The way that it will be weaponized by people who are, you know, legal activists who are like, yes, we now have a law. We're going to go and find somebody that we can beat with this new law, beat mm. them over, over the head with this new law. People don't see that kind of pain that's going to come about. And they're like, you know, if it just saves one life, it's going to be worth it. Mm. Well, is it worth it if it results in thousands of lives being lost? Uh, these are these are these are questions that you know I I'm I'm so glad that I don't have to you know deal with them and I can leave them in God's hands because you know God puts His laws down and uh, you know if we follow God's laws then it's like okay mm. I, I let God worry about this as far as you know how this is going to you know save lives or yeah. whatever it might be and the reassuring thing is that god has shared this in the bible he's told us how the end will come and what yes. the kind of society that it will come to and i remember reading it and reading books about you know and in, in G. white she talks about like how society will be and i'm like this is madness I, it'd be crazy to see it and just to see it in, in the news and actually feel it in society when talking to people even your friends um it's it's scary but also, the fact that God knows the future means he's still in control and he's still on his throne, and that's some place you can find hope in. Absolutely. The Bible says, when you see these things happen, lift up your heads because you know that your redemption is drawing near. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, let's go to our Bible study, Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to look at verse 13. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on uh, the Equality Act passing through uh, the United States, we would love to hear from you. Um, and it kind of parallels what is taking place down in Victoria here in our country. Uh, same kind of legislation down there, banning people from you know saying certain kinds of prayer and praying for certain kinds of people and so forth. Very, very bigoted legislation that is just incredibly painful for such large groups of, you know, our population where you've got people that they just love to pray for people. Mm. And it's like, no, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You go to jail for that these days, you know, if depending on what the subject is. Mm. And I've said it here before and I'll say it again. Anybody who wants prayer, regardless of what they want prayer for, call me here on Faith FM. Mm. I'm happy to pray for you, whatever that prayer request is. Or send them through for us. We are happy to pray for people and take your issues to the throne of grace. And, of course, I guess the uh, thing you can take a comfort from if you live in Victoria or somewhere like that is that you don't have to have somebody else pray for you. You can go directly to the throne of grace yourself. Mm. Praise God. Can one, yes. Isaiah 52, verse 13, if you could read that uh, verse for us, please. Um, Renee, we're going to look at another bit of a theme here from these passages. Isaiah 52, verse 13, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. And continue on there, actually. Um, yeah, read for us. Um, yeah. Well, actually, no, let's, let's, let's stop there for a moment. Because you've got a contrast. 
It's going to contrast between here and the next verse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, read the next verse. The next verse, 14. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Okay, and we talked about the physical aspects of what happened to Jesus at the time of the crucifixion yesterday, Mm. which is just horrific beyond what we can begin to imagine. And the Bible draws this interesting contrast. It says that, you know, he is uh, highly exalted and extolled and very high. Yeah. And you find that fact from a number of different perspectives. First of all, he is the ruler and creator of the universe, and the entire universe worships Jesus Christ. Mm. Then you have, even here on this earth, you have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that takes place a couple of days before the crucifixion, and he is highly exalted and extolled and worshipped here on this earth and recognized as being God, being the Son of David, being the Messiah by so many people here on this earth. And then you have this contrast. The Bible says he's highly exalted and then abused more than any other man. Exalted more and abused more, and that's kind of a weird contrast. And then you've got 53 verse 1, if you could read that. Yeah. So, who has believed our message, to whom the Lord has revealed his powerful arm? Okay, let's stop there for a moment. This is, you know, to me, as one of the disciples, this passage would be just so incredible, so amazing. You can understand why when Philip was you know, listening as this passage was being read to the Ethiopian eunuch, he was like, yes, let me run up to the chariot and explain to the Ethiopian exactly what this passage is all about. Because it kind of, you can understand why, you know, when it says, who has believed their report? Mm. You look at Jesus when he was crucified. You look at Jesus when he was being beaten black and blue and torn apart up and down the streets of Jerusalem and it would be hard to believe that he was the Messiah. Hmm. And it's like, well, you know, and you can see the prophet like, this is our report. This is what we're saying about the Messiah. He's highly exalted. He is disfigured more than any other person. That's a massive contrast. Who actually believes that? Hmm. How are you going to, how are you going to, you know, connect those two uh, con- concepts together because surely, you know, if somebody is beaten up like that, our natural reaction is God's forsaken them. Yeah. You know, if you look at Job, mm-hmm. Job's a great example. Uh, what did his friends, in essence, say to him when they came to see Job? Pretty much, God has left you. Yep. You're a sinner. You. God's left you. He's got another, you know, yeah. you wouldn't be suffering all this if God was still here. And though we don't say that out loud these days, we still subconsciously believe it. You know, if, if we're going through like suffering, we're like, okay, what, what is it that I did wrong? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, it's mm. kind of that thing that uh, somewhere in our humans, in our subconscious, somewhere we're like, why am I being punished right now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, for Job in his situation, he has obviously the added pressure of all of his friends who gather around and are like, you're a great sinner. They're used to hiding something away here. We don't know what it is, but Ooh, yeah. you're a great sinner yeah. because not, this would not happen to you if you were not a great sinner. Yeah. Job's like, I'm not a great sinner. I'm under grace. I'm covered <laughs> by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't understand this. Yeah. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Mm. What an incredibly powerful passage. And, of course, they all sit around and try and understand God. 
And they all try to sit around and try and understand, you know, what is it that is going on until God says, you know, actually, Job, you know nothing. And this is not even about you. This is, this is, this is about the great controversy that's taking place. This is a war that's taking place across the universe mm. that you don't even see. Mm. You know, you, you think about you know, that whole story there where you've got, you know, Satan turns up in heaven and God's like, oh, where'd you come from? You know, as if you didn't know. But <laughs> Satan's like, oh, I've come here as the representative of planet Earth. It's like, God's like, oh, so you represent planet Earth, do you? Do you represent everyone down there? You know, what about Job? Have you, have you considered Job? You, uh, uh, do you see yourself as a representative of Job? It's a little bit embarrassing for Satan, of course. He's like, ah, the only reason Job serves you is because you're a sugar daddy. You just keep giving him stuff. Anyone will serve you if you give them stuff. Mm. Fair point. And, you know, this is all taking place in front of the representatives of every created being in the universe. This is a gathering of the sons of God. Mm. You know, this is the Adams. The Bible describes Adam as the son of God. This is the Adam from every other planet that is out there. What message are they going to take place? Well, you know, Satan actually has a point. We can see what's going on on earth. Job is blessed. The only reason that Job serves God is because God gives him stuff. And so if God does nothing about this, what message do they carry back to their planet? Mm. Will that, it definitely has the possibility of destabilizing the universe once again because Satan has made an accusation that holds a certain level of believability with it. Mm. And then you continue on from there and you see what happens and God's like, okay, you can, you can take away his stuff. And so Job, Satan comes down and does as much as he can. God says you can't take his life because that's not going to prove anything. But he takes away all his possessions, the wealthiest man in the East, takes away all his possessions and kills his entire family, sparing only his wife. And Satan spared Job's wife for a good reason because Job's wife actually supported Satan and said, curse God and die. Mm. Um, supports Job's wife, preserves Job's wife, but kills all of his other family members. How would you feel? You know, what does Job see? He doesn't see what's going on in heaven. Mm. The only thing Job sees is that in one day he's lost all his possessions, his entire family's been killed, and he has a terrible, terrible disease. It would be fair to assume that this, that, that what his friends thought, like he was this great sinner, like that's what most people would jump to assume. Yeah, it, um, it would, yeah, it would be. All right. Um, so when, so, so, the, and, and the, yeah, you, you see what's happening here is that, um, they, his, his friends are like, well, you know, this is, this is the problem. And when you look at this passage, you can see people going the same route in their minds. Mm. Hosanna to the son of David a few days before. Well, clearly this person is, uh, the Messiah. Mm. And then he gets beaten black and blue. He's dragged as a prisoner through the streets. They turn up into Pilate's courtyard. They see him standing there. He's got flesh just ripped off him. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's covered in blood. Uh, he's been beaten black and blue. And they're like, you know what? We were wrong. Mm. It's impossible. This cannot be the Messiah. And if it cannot be the Messiah, then he's an imposter. So crucify him. 
And in a weird kind of way, we all sit here and say, well, we would never be amongst those who would say, we've been deceived, crucify him. But if you were standing in the crowd and you saw Jesus like that, what would you be thinking? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so Renee, I have a question for you. Uh If you lived in Germany Mm -hmm. in uh, 19... Let me pick a date... 1938, would you support the Nazi party? Oh, okay. Um, Would I support the Nazi party in 19... Would you support Adolf Hitler? What what happened? Did World War II... World War II was about to start. About to start. Hasn't hasn't started yet. Hasn't started yet. So I've gone before the actual start. Well, it started in uh, China, of course. Okay. uh, But it hasn't started in Europe yet. Yeah. I think I, this is what I think. Um, I think I would have, because like, how did he get his whole country to support him? I think I would have been swept up in the whole thing of like, I heard that, like he's saying a little bit of history. He, he gave them some awesome promises some some good things for the country. I think I might've supported it, might not knowing what, what would have happened later. I, I, I think I would have. Renee, you are the most honest person I've ever come across. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I know it doesn't sound good, but. No, it doesn't. Because everybody, you know, typically when I ask that question, people are like, oh, no, I would never do that. No, no, we'd never support Adolf Hitler. No one would ever support Adolf Hitler. But the fact is, statistically, you would have. Yeah. If you were living there at that time, statistically, if you were not a Jewish person and you're not a Jewish person, mm-hmm. uh, you would have supported Adolf Hitler. Now, there were very, very few who didn't, and I get that and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But statistically speaking, you would have done so. Okay, so here's the next question. If you were standing in the crowd mm-hmm. in Pilate's courtyard, would you have called out, crucify him, crucify him? Okay, this is, this you don't is have to answer one. this one. Because this one is really hard for a Christian to answer. Yeah. But the fact is... If you saw Jesus marched out naked, bruised, torn, whipped, pieces of flesh, just layers of flesh hanging on his off his back, mm. his back muscles exposed, you know, mm. to the air, mm. chunks of his face missing, his beard pulled out, a crown of thorns on his head, mm-hmm. would you have gone, this guy deceived me? I thought he was the Messiah. Mm. I said Hosanna to the son of David a couple of days ago. I'm a goose. Mm. Would you have at least had doubts? I think if... I think I'd really struggle because didn't the religious... This was the religious leaders. These if, you were had the a, if you had a, a religious predisposition to expect that the Messiah was going to be a conquering king to conquer the Romans... yeah. Then this, this would be going, then this wouldn't really phase me. I'd be like, Oh, it seems like it's another crazy person, um, getting what they deserve. And that really hurts to say. It does, doesn't it? And I don't, we read the, right? We read the Bible and we, We've, we're through the eyes of, you know, of the revelation. Like, we, well, we can, we can see what happened in the past. We know how we, the story ends. We know the meanings behind everything, right? When atonement happened, it, we know it happened, but if you stood there, you wouldn't see it physically happening. No. We wouldn't see what's, we, we only sort of see what's happening on the stage. We don't see the backstage. We don't see all the, everything that's happening behind the scenes. And so it, I don't think it would have really phased me. Um, 
but I think afterwards, seeing just the hearing about the resurrection and seeing now, that would make a difference. That, that, but seeing Jesus crucified, I think I'd feel a bit of sorry. Like you, you would feel like bad for them. Oh, you would feel just, yeah. But at the same time, you would think, well, this person clearly, it would be very easy to think this person clearly cannot be the Messiah. Yeah. Even the disciples thought that. They didn't call out crucify him, crucify him. But they are. But he, after he was they? dead, mm. after he was dead, they were like, wow, we thought he was the Messiah. Yeah. That's what Cleopas and his friends say to Jesus when Jesus meets them. You know, we thought this person would be the Messiah. And they're really discouraged. So yeah. even the disciples doubted. Of course, there was one person who didn't. Who? There was one person who, um, you know, went even way further. There was one person who saw Jesus not just in Pilate's courtyard where he's beaten black and blue and ripped apart and torn and shredded and so forth. There was one person who saw Jesus on the cross and recognised, broke through his Jewish predisposition to look for a conquering saviour, recognised that the moment Jesus died, that he was going to provide salvation, and that was the thief. Mm. You know, just as there were people back in Hitler's Germany who saw through Adolf Hitler, but very few, Mm. there was the thief on the cross who actually figured it out. He's like, wait a minute. Jesus is about to die and that's going to provide salvation, mm. and I'm not going to miss out on it. Imagine how encouraging that was for Jesus. You know, Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross, and and uh, nobody knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. The Bible says his disciples forsook him and fled. Uh, Peter has denied him to his face. Um, the uh, the crowd that said Hosanna to the Son of David has gone. We've been deceived. This guy is a charlatan. Uh, this could not possibly be the Son of God. They're not, you know, they're not, not going to worship somebody who's beaten black and blue. Yeah. And so they cry out to crucify him. If he's that kind of a shout and that kind of a deceiver, let's get rid of him. Mm-hmm. How did Jesus feel? That whole crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. But the thief figures it out. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus would have been so discouraged He's got no connection with his father. He's been cut off from his father. He's carrying the sins of the entire world on his shoulders, something that he's never experienced before because he's never been guilty of anything. Mm. It's crushing his soul, and he looks out, and no one knows what he's actually doing. Nobody appreciates it. Mm. No one recognizes it. That would have been just the most awful experience. And then the thief says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And suddenly he realizes... It's worth it. If this guy is the only guy who ever figures it out because he's about to die, it's worth it. Ah, the Bible says no one believed our report. Oh, we're going to look at this passage here. Um, we've kind of, I kind of got, <laughs> we got, I got caught up in the emotion <laughs> of that story and sort of placing myself in that position and being honest with myself and saying, where would I have stood? And what would I have said and how sceptical would, because I tend to be so sceptical, how sceptical would I have been if I'd have been in Pilate's courtyard Mm. and could I have done that? And I think that I could have done. I could have cried out crucified. It breaks my heart to think about it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. This is the breakfast show, and somebody snuck through a uh, sneaky little uh, text message right here at the end of that last segment, where we were talking about the thief on the cross mm-hmm. and just how incredible it was. You know, the Bible says, "Who has believed our report?" Well, the thief on the cross did, and somebody said, "You know Ooh. what? You know who else did? Who? The Roman centurion." That's right. There were two that day that gave their lives to Jesus Christ and proclaimed him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Mm. And that one blows my mind way more even again than the thief on the cross mm. mm-hmm. because he didn't have the biblical background and understanding that the thief did, but he recognised divinity when he saw it, even when the disciples couldn't see it. Who has believed our report? Well, two people, the thief and the centurion. Okay, uh, it's time for... Question of the Day. And this morning's question is, is sperm donation ethical? Okay, so there's a whole bunch of ethical considerations that come into sperm donation that I think we often don't actually stop and think about. And so um, some of the challenges that you get are that children who are biologically connected but not emotionally connected, um, they, you know, it's not particularly healthy for children when they find out that they came from, you know, sperm donation. And what you're going to find is the... You know, a person always yearns to find out who they, you know, who they are, where they came from, that kind of thing. And so you've got children that don't have that, um, you know, connection to their own parents that they would have if they were biologically connected. Mm-hmm. They have an emotional connection for sure. And then they're going to, they're really going to face those challenges of like, well, where do I fit in? Who is my family? Where do I come from? Who actually am I? And that can be emotionally challenging for, uh, for some kids. Uh, you've also got the, the challenge. And, and when I found this as I was researching it, I was really, really surprised. There are instances where siblings have actually met each other, fallen in love and gotten married. Oh. Having no idea because obviously the records of sperm donation and where you come from, those kinds of records are all, you know, um, sealed and mm. you have, you know, that, that whole issue of, uh, the stern, sperm donor must remain anonymous. And so that has actually happened and created, um, issues. Then you got children's parents, um, you have the, the 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 other issue where some parents say, "Well, we're going to have a sperm donation from somebody who we know." Mm. Well, then that creates a strain on that parent's relationship. Yeah, because every time you know the donor comes to visit or whatever, you know, there's a feeling of insecurity that comes in. It just naturally, you can't avoid it coming into the relationship because mm. it's like, "Well, this is actually their child." What happens if they want to actually have their child and? To have an influence on their child. What if they want to raise that child? What if they want to have, you know, some input into their life? Mm. Do they have rights because they are the biological parent? Do they actually have rights to do so? Um, and which, which then comes to the next one where you have children that are being raised in a home where they don't have both biological parents. All research, 100% of research says that the best place for a child to be raised is in a home where they have both biological parents. And so legislation should always aim for the best, not the subpar, 
environment. That's the best environment for children. So we should legislate for the best environment for children. So that's a uh, um, an issue. And then you've got you know some sperm banks that are extremely selective. So um, some will require a four year degree from an Ivy League university as a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, some only take donations from people who are over sixteen, uh, over six foot, and between the ages of nineteen and thirty-four. Uh, one bank only takes donations from Nobel Prize winners. Um, and so the other question that comes up: Okay, is this eugenics? Should we practice eugenics? You know, which is breeding. Mm. Uh, should there be an expectation on children from donated sperm? So, you know, should you be raising a child with increased expectation because? Well, their parent was a Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, does is this a way in which low socioeconomic parents can breed up in society? And do we want to have that as a part of our society? And then, of course, there's the question, as a sperm donor, do you want to create a child? Do you want to bring a child into the world that you as a donor will have nothing to do with raising? That you're going to give that responsibility. You're going to create a child and give that responsibility to someone entirely different who might raise that child to be a mass murderer or, you know, whatever it might be. Are you going to abrogate that responsibility? And so, this is one of those issues that, you know, on the surface, it's like, yeah, this is a great thing. This allows lots of couples to have marriages, have, have children, I guess, that wouldn't normally have children and um, brings a lot of joy to the world, but it brings a whole ethical mix with it. And because of that, yeah, I kind of, uh, I would say, this is not a great idea. Um, from a biblical perspective, we should have our own children and raise our own children and um, take you know child care and child raising to God, and we should be prepared to foster and to adopt wherever we uh, can as well. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.